What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 167. I'm your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today is a special guest. You've heard him on here many a times. He's always ready, willing, and able. Mr. Michael DeRosa is joining me today for the week edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. DeRosa, I know I hit you up short notice, but like you said, you're always ready, willing, and yeah. able to hop on Look, here. <laughs> Mr. Short Notice uh, just got done with like a whole bunch of like final papers and all that stuff, like late last night. And it's like, man, I, I miss talking hoops. So it was a long two days where I wasn't able to talk basketball aside from going to a Butler game. But by God, we're ready. Mr. Short Notice is always ready. Kevin Holland, Chris Curtis, <laughs> shout out to those the three people who watch MMA who would understand that reference. By oh, God, we're always you. ready. Yeah, always I'm ready. there with you. Um, dude, final week, huh? Butler. This is uh, yeah. this is your last go around too, right? Yeah, this is my I I since I'm a communications major, it's a whole bunch of like long ass papers. I don't have to like I don't have like a full test or anything like that. Granted, I was always like a half decent test taker, but yeah, just a whole bunch of papers and then. This semester, next semester, okay, a little easy, and then they're kicking me the fuck out of here, as I would too. <laughs> uh, you got to love it, man. Uh, but I do appreciate the hell out of you hopping on with me today. Um, be here. Yeah, we, we, you know, the the my normal teammates are it's just, it's the holiday season. Yeah. Like, shit's going on. You've got family. We get it, but this train keeps a rolling, baby, because here at ECB, we keep you covered. Every single week, twice a week. And with that being said, as always, got to let everybody know this podcast is presented in part with the House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more information. Michael, um, we got a, we've got some stuff to talk about, games and all that. But before we get into any of that, I do want to, there's a couple things I want to talk about. One in a very serious manner, I feel like I've got to bring up. And one of kind of a fun thing before we get into the games, and we'll hit the serious thing first. There is another school shooting, and we're not going to get political. We're not going to get any of that. The reason I bring that up, it happened on the campus of UNLV. The only reason I bring this up is because it affected a college basketball game. Dayton was supposed to head over and play out there, and they postponed, canceled the game. And memoriam or whatever the term you want to use, they basically just wasn't right to go play a game. Literally as a school shooting happens again, not trying to get political. Everybody has their own stance on that, but uh, man, it just seems like this shit happens all the time. It, it really does. Yeah. Yeah. It happens way too often. Um, I was very, I remember seeing this like last night I was working on like a huge paper. So I am not too, I wasn't too touched and I didn't know they uh, canceled a game uh, last night, man, that sucks. Uh, terrible, terrible situation. Hope as many people as possible are okay uh, in the aftermath. Hope everything works out as smoothly as possible. That sucks. Um, yeah. And, but and I, it, it was the right call. Like, I mean, I yeah, don't think you could have went and played that game. Play. Like, yeah. And it would have been a good little game. I mean, it'd have been a quality, potential quality. I know UNLV is not what they used to be, but to go on the road, it would have helped your net rankings, which brings me to the net rankings. We've got our first batch of net rankings that got revealed, I think it was this past Monday, sometime earlier this week, we got our first batch, and people are losing their mind one way or the other over it because it's the early season, and the net rankings, for whatever you want to think about it, it did replace the RPI, was the old model that college basketball used to use. Then the net rankings, I think, since like the fifth year with it, 
tracks your quad one wins, the amount of victories. It, it It's an okay system, but it's very flawed. For instance, Miami beat the hell out of, I think it was Long Island last night, but 48 points, 49 points, a team that's terrible, and they jumped like 20 spots in the net ranking, which was basically a quad four victory. So there was definitely flaws to it, but the net rankings came out, and BYU is the number one team in the net. The top 10 reads as follows. BYU, Houston, Arizona, Purdue, Creighton's top five. And then six through 10 is Baylor, UConn, Colorado State, Marquette, and Princeton. I'd say inside that top 10, you have some usual suspects like the Houston and Arizona, Purdue, Baylor, Creighton, UConn, and Marquette. And you have some teams that are outside that bubble. I know the BYU is in a power six now, being number one. Little shocking, I guess. And then Colorado State, we've been fans of them. They're inside the ECB top 15 now, not only top 25. And then Princeton coming in at number 10. So I guess with all that being said, um, any thoughts on the, the net, the first batch of it? I mean, it really doesn't mean anything. You won't get a good reading of the net until you get in the deep in the conference play, I don't think. But I guess your thoughts on people feeling one way or the other about the early edition of the net rankings coming out. Yeah, two main thoughts I have on this. One, the fact that like Butler's like kind of good this year. So I've actually seen so many tweets on the net. Holy shit, can we stop? Like, come on. I don't, I don't like, man, we, we can wait till like January to start talking about the net. There's not enough data for a system like the net to work this season. That's why like a Ken Palm, a Torvik, a Haslam, they all partially use preseason projections. There's a reason for that because there's just not enough data for the net to work with yet. So I really don't think mm-hmm. even like one of the NCAA stat guy liked my tweet where I said, this is way too early to take this data like any sort of seriously. So that's my first thought on it. The second thought is when you mentioned like the Miami game, I'm kind of like a numbers nerd ish. Like I follow a lot of numbers nerds and I was always better with numbers than I was with other things in school. Um, Just like a lot of the numbers nerds I follow for like, basketball stats, football stats, all that sort of thing. They'll take stats only from when there's like a 5% chance to a 95% chance of like a game being won by either side. Anytime there's like extreme garbage time, extreme like outliers, they take it away. And I think that would really help a system like the net because like, granted, you have to balance it out. Like obviously Miami is going to beat Long Island more than 95% of the time. But I think you'd have to find a system like assuming all teams are equal at this margin there is a 96% chance Miami wins. They're up 25 with 10 minutes left. The rest mm-hmm. of this game, we just disregard. And instead, they end up running up the score, and that just greatly favors them in the net. I think it's kind of ridiculous, but I'm well, also it, not qualified it, it, to make stats. Yeah, and it's almost similar. I mean, on the background right now, I've got the NBA's in-season tournament semifinals. The Pacers are playing right now. And – there was an initiative to be had in these group stage games of you win, you get a certain amount of points, a la like European soccer does during their table and standings. But you also got incentive, too, for margin of victory. So you would want to blow teams out and score as many points as possible. It's kind of the same way with the net. It doesn't matter if you play the 300th best team in, in the net and Ken Palm and all that. If you can beat them by 70, you should beat them by 70 for, because the way the system works – you're going to jump up a whole lot of spots in the net, which affects quad one and all that. I mean, look at this. UMass Lowell, four and two on the year. They are 50th in Ken Palm. On the debut, they just dropped six spots, actually. They were 44th in the initial um, the initial net rankings. I said Ken Palm. I meant net rankings. Yeah. 
Meaning that if a team, if the American East started today and a team played UMass Lowell and beat them, that is a quad one victory at the time being. That's how crazy this is right now and how sporadic. But we've got such a small sample size. So the only reason I'm bringing it up because it did get revealed and it's something to monitor as we get a bigger sample size. But for those people who are just taking this as gospel and these teams that are like, well, this is the, we're ranked 72nd, the highest net ranking in history or in our team's history. Well, now let's, let's pump the brakes just a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Let's, let's pump them just a little bit. Um, but it is something throughout the year. Once we get deeper into conference play, we're going to keep an eye on because then it will kind of start to matter. It yeah. will to a degree. Um, so that's that. And the other thing before we start talking about, we had the gym. It's been Jimmy V week. Um, always emotional. We're going to talk about that. But I thought I'd do something fun. We're basically one month in the college basketball season, which got me thinking. Back to the ECB magazine. I was in charge of the SEC. I was in charge of the Big East and other uh, mid-major and low-major conferences. Well, I got thinking about the SEC real hard today because I still think if they're not the best conference, they are 1A in my opinion. And they will be that way the rest of the year. So I got thinking about after the first month of the year, how would I rank these teams based upon a lot of different stuff? The eye test to me being the most important right now, but you throw in all the analytics, whether it be Ken Palm or Torvik or our friend over at Haslam Matrix, Eric Haslam or whoever, right? Net rankings, whatever. The eye test to me is the most important because when you watch this team, how do they play? How do they look? How do they play? Even in a loss, how do they look and how do you think they'll project? So I re-ranked 1 through 14 in the SEC conference, and I'm going to read them to you, and you tell me what you think, and I'll start from bottom to the top. I mean, no question Vanderbilt's number 14. Like, they are terrible. God-awful, terrible. They, they're they just bad. Like, it's bad. Um, I'd almost rather replace them with, like, an Appalachian State at this point for this year. Um, 13's LSU. I know they had a, a good showing out at um, uh, the Charleston Classic, but I still just don't favor them. I, I don't. I know Will Baker's good inside, but I think LSU's – it's going to be another tough year. Um, yeah. 12's Missouri. Out, outside of the 20-point comeback win against Minnesota, they have not looked good. I don't think Missouri's looked good. I think that they've really struggled from year one of Dennis Gates to year two without a Kobe Brown. Missouri, to me, struggling. Number 11's Georgia. I still believe in this team as a sleeper, and they're getting better. They are getting better. They've In the last week, they've got big victories over Florida State on the road, and they beat their rival Georgia Tech the other night. They're, they're starting to put some wins together and figure it out, and that's why I think that as the year progresses, they're going to get better and better, but right now they're number 11. Number 10, and I would have put them higher, but the SEC is so good, it's hard to do it, but South Carolina, they just took their first loss the other night. I know the competition's not been the best, but they played a top 15 top 20 Clemson team on the road down to the wire and had them down double digits early in the second half and easily could have won that game if they made free throws. South Carolina is number 10, meaning I think that they have markedly improved already just by the way that you watch them play. They can make shots. BJ Mack has been tremendous for them. They can play. They're better than I thought they would be. Number nine, Mississippi State. Started off red high. Everybody was buying into them, and I still think they're a solid team. But we've started to see some cracks form now, and I think that you can't fully judge them until um, – man, I just forgot the big kid's name uh, – Tolo Smith. Until Tolo Smith gets back, 
I, I love Josh Hubbard there, but they've kind of slipped when they maybe two weeks ago would have been like five or four. But they're nine. Florida eight. Um, still not really that big marquee win yet, but I favor Florida. I think they've got a good team. Arkansas seven. So up and down the first month of the year. They played some tough games. They got the big win against Duke. But again, figuring stuff out. Six, Alabama. Same thing. Alabama can score the hell out of the basketball. But when it gets physical, like it did against or did against Clemson, I, I think they're going to have a hard time this year in physical games that get slowed down the half court. Five, the biggest surprise in SEC so far is Ole Miss. What, what Ole Miss is doing right now, they're unbeaten. They are, they've got quality wins. They just beat Memphis last week. They are pretty good. They are like way ahead of schedule than what I thought Chris Beard would have them. To the point where I think they can actually make the NCAA tournament this year. They've got dudes now. And Chris Beard's the X factor as the coach to keep them in it. I got Ole Miss fifth best team through the first month of SEC. Auburn four. No, they had the loss on the road to App State. But that credit to them taking that game. That's a tough place. That's a good App State team. Auburn, I think, is going to be right there at the end. They can shoot. They can defend. They've got interior play. And I love their backcourt. Auburn four. Tennessee three. I know they had the big lo the losing streak. But look at the three teams they lost in a row to. Dalton Neck's been amazing. Uh, Jordan Ganey's been good. I think they're going to figure it out. Kentucky, too. Um, even with the, the terrible loss to UNC Asheville over the weekend, they blew the hell out of number eight Miami at the time by 22 points and made them look inferior at times. I think Kentucky, when you look at them, the way they played Kansas and all that, I think Kentucky talent-wise and the way they play through the first month, they're going to be there. I firmly believe it. They're going to have their ups and downs. And the Texas A&M, number one, I just think when you look at solid all-around team, I know they've got a couple losses, but they're not bad losses. And the overall team, and then they've got a potential All-American on the team, I think Texas A&M. So any of those one through 14, anything stand out to you, disagree with me on, let me hear it. So I think I'd have Tennessee too. I think Tennessee is just better than Kentucky so far. They've played some really tough games. I'm not going to punish them for losing to some of the best teams in college basketball. Mm -hmm. Like their stretch in, it was Maui or Atlanta. It's one of the, it was Maui, right? They play Maui. It was Maui. Yeah. yeah. Maui. yeah. yeah. Their stretch, they had a ridiculously tough stretch, like going from elite big men to elite big men to elite big men. So I'm okay giving them a pass there. I still think they're really good. Uh, Dalton, if Dalton Connect goes down, that team drops substantially in my mind. But for now, he's playing. So thank God that ankle injury wasn't serious. He's so much fun to watch. Um, yeah. I think you were a little high on South Carolina. Um, I, I watched a little bit of the Clemson game, like a very little bit. I didn't see much, but the end, but I don't know. Michi Johnson. Like, I feel like it's the same group they had last year. I don't see them being much better and maybe they just played a rival tough. They still have to prove more to me. Um, That's fair. And let me, let me tell you this. I'm surprised because even though competition's not been the greatest, they did find themselves unbeaten going into the other night against Clemson. The fact that if you read the magazine, I had them predicted dead last, and I didn't even think they'd win like six or seven games, and they've already exceeded that, and they've looked competitive doing so. So I think that's why I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay. This is a little better South Carolina team than I thought it would be. Missouri is a team I hit the panic button on a little while back. I remember Chris and I were talking about it on our pod, but that's a team that's veteran led. Like you have like, even if you're like a team, like say a, a young team, like a Vanderbilt's fairly young, I think at least like they're growing. You can say like, you look, they'll get better. Or Georgia, for example, if Georgia was in that same spot, Georgia's going to get better as the year goes on. 
Like mm-hmm. really young team. They're still learning to play together. Missouri's got veterans. The fact that they've looked this bad in early conference play, losing to a Jackson State team that, I mean, they were getting healthier in that game. And I, I think I, I like seeing Mo Williams just as a coach and Tyler Adams at Georgetown. I loved him. So good seeing him do well. But that's not a game they should lose. They've looked bad all season. They got lucky to come back and beat Minnesota. Yeah. yeah I, that's a team I hit the panic button on a little while back. Let me see. There was one other thing that stuck out. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Auburn. I was surprised you had Auburn that high. I do agree with you though. I really like that. I watched them play Baylor and very opening day. And after that game, I'm like, shit, I was wrong about Auburn. Like 100%. Mm-hmm. They're long. They're much more longer, much deeper, much more athletic than I really expected them to be. And I love Aiden Holloway. He's going to settle in. He's going to stop taking those heat check shots to win games, but I love his game. I think he's going to be something. And I think that Auburn team is going to get better as the year progresses. They're mean. Denver, Den, Denver Jones has helped yep. that team tremendously, giving him a veteran three-point shooter that you cannot leave him open. I think his arrival from Florida International has really gave that team something that they were missing. Yeah. And, uh, and then- I watched LSU versus Syracuse because I took Syracuse in that game. I had Syracuse. I think it was minus one and a half. LSU was really bad. If they scored, it was, yeah, 57 points on that Syracuse defense. That Syracuse defense is terrible. It, mm-hmm. I, it is one of the worst high major defenses in the country. The fact that you only put up 57 on that is concerning. Even if you had a bad shooting day, like just missed wide open, that's still really concerning. That defense is terrible. Completely, so, completely agree. Terrible. What about, real quick, 5-6. I had 5 Ole Miss, 6 Alabama, and I know Alabama fans are probably going to get upset with me about that. Doesn't mean I think you're a bad team. I think you're going to be really good again. But I do think there are some issues there. And I think Ole Miss has been by far the biggest surprise in the conference so far. Yeah, I remember Chris was talking to me about Ole Miss. I actually haven't watched an Ole Miss game this season. So I can't like fully speak to them in the eye test. I definitely That's definitely a team I want to go back and look at. But Alan Flanagan, from what I'm seeing, is playing really well. And it makes sense. He's like a really talented player. Beard, he knows how to use him well. Chris was like looking at that team. He's like, this they, they look like a tournament team. So yep. I that's definitely a team I want to go back rewatch. Uh ooh, also there was one thing actually you did just remind me. I would have Florida above Arkansas. And I debated that. I'm with you. I debated that. Arkansas's got the better talent. But Florida, I just there's something about Kugel and Will Richard and Walter Clayton and then getting Hamilton. And there's yeah. something about that team. They don't get blown out. They play. They either blow a team out or they lose close. And I think they're going to be a handful through the rest of the year once we get an SEC play. Yeah, they got shooters all over the court. You have three excellent guards, as you mentioned, Kugel, Clayton, Richard. Those guys can play. They're getting a decent bit out of Tyree Samuel. He's looked good. He's athletic. And this Arkansas team, I don't trust their guards. I, I didn't in the offseason, and they've done nothing to prove to me that I should trust them. The um, Both Mark and um brazil or that's a legit one-two punch but i don't know i think if i'm projecting for the rest of the season despite arkansas beating duke and what was one of the most hectic games i just still think if i still think florida finishes above arkansas this season though i'm not confident in that pick whatsoever it's just that that's (laughs) that's just the way i lean in that one and I completely agree. And I also agree with you. I mean, it, I won't be, my feelings aren't going to be hurt if anybody said Tennessee's yeah. over Kentucky or Auburn's over Kentucky. Again, obviously people know me. I'm a fan, but I always try to keep the fandom out for the most part. But there is a there is a crossover, right? When I look at this team at their peak, they're beating the hell out of Miami. And they had Kansas down by 14, right? That's the peak. But because they are young, 
they obviously overslept on uh, UNC Asheville and they paid the price. Yeah. I think it's going to be one of those years where they probably have like six, maybe seven losses. Yeah. They're going to come in the tournament, what, maybe like a three, four seed, depending, five or whatever. Yeah. And they're going to have a chance to still make the Final Four no matter where they're at. Yeah. I think that's what we're seeing with Kentucky this year. Reed Shepard is so much fun to watch. He's so, he's Did so you fun. see where Sam Vecini came out with those mock draft? It, it was oh, a big article yesterday, and he has him the number six prospect. He has Reed Shepard the number six prospect. Okay. I love Reed Shepard's game. I feel like that says more about this draft class. Well, and so shout out to our, our yeah. longtime friend and supporter, Johnny Stroud. We were talking about it. And he was surprised, like I was, and you are. Yeah, and I great. said, boy, I love Reed Shepard. Yeah. But if an NBA draft exec takes him number six, he's going to get somebody fired. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you can get Reed at the back end of the first round or even middle part of the first round, if you think so, outside the lottery. And he's going to be a good player. I think yeah. he's an NBA player. But if you take him number six and put those expectations on him, no matter how good he is, he's going to get some GM fired, taking him that high. I yeah. think. Because he, I don't think he profiles to be a star at the next level. I think he profiles to be like a good role player. Like a he's very Austin good role Reeves. player. He's Austin Reeves yeah. is what I'm saying. I'm probably a more athletic Austin like Reeves. It. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's so I definitely I like think he lot. can play. And I, it yeah. does seem like he's going to be one and done, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. But um, those are my SEC uh, re-ranks after first month. We'll do it again monthly. Yep. On Sunday's show, I'll add the Big East. We'll do more conferences. I just thought it was a final thing. Last thing real quick on Ole Miss, by the way. They're eight and zero. They've got big wins over Memphis, NC State, and then a you know a handful of not so great teams, right? But if you look at the remaining schedule heading into SEC play at the beginning of January, dude, there's a chance they're eight and zero. They could be nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen and zero heading into Tennessee on the road on January sixth. That is insane for what Chris Beard is trying to do in his first year there. Great job. Play? Yeah, so I'm not particularly high on Memphis or NC State this season. So I'm I that's why I haven't been able to catch those games. Like I just don't think particularly highly of those teams. Who do they play in the rest of the slate? Is there like a game that like they reasonably could lose? Well, Kim Palm has them losing the next one. On Sunday, they play at UCF. Kim Palm has them uh -huh. losing by six, but I think they're gonna dog walk UCF. I really do. Sucks. Then they play a neutral site game. Uh, against California, which they should win. Then they play home against Troy. Then they play another neutral site game against Southern Miss. And then they play Bryan at home before SEC play. Yeah, they should win all those games. I think Cal could test them. That team has talent. Uh, they're still gelling together, clearly. But that team is talented. Yeah. And Matt's so, I mean, a really coach. So, I mean, Ole Miss, though. I mean, to me right now, yeah. they're a tournament team and probably yeah. a good-seeded tournament team. But let's go to this week. We talked about it. Jimmy V week, um, always an emotional week. We've talked about this, dude, and I say it all the time. I said it on our Facebook group. Every year, I've heard this speech 100 million times over the last 30-some years, and it gets me every time. Every time. Every, every time. single time it gets me to what he says how he says it, knowing the circumstances, it gets me. It brings me to tears. Like one of the things he said daily, the three things you should do every day to live a full life, right? You should have your emotions move to tears. Every time I watch that speech, I get moved to tears. I love this week. I love getting to see all this. 
and it always culminates in good basketball in Madison Square Garden. And that's exactly what we got on Tuesday night when we had a top 25 showdown open things up where Illinois played Florida Atlantic in a game. Illinois, their only loss heading into Tuesday night at the Garden was a home loss, close game against a title contending Marquette team. So they needed this win, not for resume say. I mean, they, they could have used it, you yeah. know what I'm saying? But it wasn't like a desperation win, right? They needed it just for a resume builder to prove that they can really play, and they got that and more. Illinois wins 98-89 in a game that was full of runs. Both teams would just – Illinois would go on a 14-0 run to take the lead. Florida Atlantic would respond back with a – 15-0 run, and then Illinois going on an 8-0 run, and then Florida Atlanta 6-0. I mean, it was just run after run after run. Illinois finally seeked, or, uh, seized control late in the game, was able to gap Florida Atlantic late. How about this? The line I gets 33 points apiece, not combined, apiece from Marcus Domas and Terrence Shannon Jr. They combined for 66 points, 33 points apiece. And they only miss what a combined like seven shots, I think. That's insane. I mean, Damas goes yeah. 13 of 15 from two, two of six from three. TJ Shannon goes eight of nine from two, two of five from three. They combined for 66 points to win this game. If TJ Shannon is going to get help like that from Damas, dude, Illinois is by far the second best team in the Big Ten behind Purdue. Something we've been asking about. Big Ten's down. Who's going to be that number two team behind the Boilermakers? It looks like, at least on the offensive end, Illinois has got every right to be there. I mean, what a great win this was. Great college basketball game, but great, very impressive win from Illinois, who has an explosive offense, especially when they get going and get help from others not named TJ Shannon. Yep. This game is at the top of my list to go back and watch. I was able to see like six, seven minutes of it in the first half. Uh, but yeah, Terrence Shannon, I think we all know he's one of the, if not the best slashing wing or just wing in general in the country. He's so special. explosive. So explosive. I mean, he's so fucking good. He's, he's jump shots, not bad, but when he's getting downhill, good luck. Um, yep. Marcus Damask too. He's legit. He's really, really high basketball IQ. He's not the most athletic guy going, but he knows how to get to his spots, what his spots are, what moves to beat you with. And he's good too. Like those two are, that's a really good one, two punch. The rest of the offense, I don't know if they're really realistically. I don't know if you can expect a ton from just about any other guy offensively. Maybe like you can get some from Justin Harmon off the bench, but you're going to need those two to produce a lot if Illinois is going to hit that second spot in the Big Ten level. Yeah, yeah and it's super impressive. I mean, Harmon had ten; he was the only other scorer for the line nine double figures. Coleman Hawkins had nine. Relatively quiet night, but he didn't really turn the basketball over. He had one turnover. And I talked about this leading up to this game on Sunday's show. What Coleman Hawkins we're gonna get is gonna determine this game, I thought. And he he was all right, he was solid, like he wasn't terrible. And the limited the turnovers, Illinois had 14 of them, but Coleman Hawkins only had one, which is huge in that game. Um, you know, I don't know if this was more or less, I'll I'll give credit to the Illinois game planning because they did go very NBA style where they would like Damask in the second half went on a run where he was just scoring over and over and abusing Florida Atlantic in the post. They basically went NBA style isolations, find a mismatch, whether it be Damask or Shannon or whoever, isolate that side and let them back down old school Mark Jackson style. And that's exactly what, I mean, Damask looked like a man playing with a bunch of middle schoolers at times the way 
you know, he he's six six, but it's not like he's the biggest guy. And he just backed him down, backed him down, step back or fade away or whatever the hell he wanted to do. Great. We don't see enough of that in college basketball. We don't see enough of the isolation, like picking out a, a weak spot on the defense and going right at them. We see a lot of like continuity offense and sets. I wonder if this can be somewhat of a wave of the future in college basketball because it works. It worked. I mean, Florida Atlantic had no no answer for it the other night. I think Damask is one of the best players in the country in the high post. I think that's really it. He was really good in the high post at uh, Southern Illinois. That translated over here. Like I remember he when uh, they ended up beating Butler. It was my either freshman or sophomore year. I don't remember which of the two. But literally, it was just get him the ball in the high post. He'd score every single time down or make a play for one of his teammates who'd hit like an open three. So he, I think, just particularly in this matchup, FAU runs four guards around Golden. But in this game, as I I think is honestly the biggest key to the game, Golden was in foul trouble. Uh, Vladislav Golden was only able to play 19 minutes. But in those 19 minutes, uh, FAU was plus eight. Versus mm-hmm. without him, that would mean they were minus, quick math, 18. So I think they really, like, they really needed him to get something in this game. And he was in foul trouble. To Illinois' credit, they got him in foul trouble. Still in those 19 minutes, he was able to score 23 points. And he was clearly a mismatch uh, going down for Illinois. Illinois got him in foul trouble. I didn't see any of the fouls that were called on him to point to, like, all right, maybe, like, the refs gave him two bad calls. And that, like, got a huge factor in the game because FAU needs him on the floor if they're going to be hit the levels that they can. They need him to be really good. And that's a great point. I mean, off the top of my head, remembering from Tuesday night, I didn't remember anything too egregious, maybe like one or two that were like man, borderline, but they were pretty much fouls for the most part that I remember. And he did foul out. I mean, it's yeah. a great point. 19 minutes, he fouled out. And when he did, it opened the interior up. Like once mm-hmm. he went out and they lost the rim protector, it was like TJ Shannon's eyes got bug eyed, right? You know, because he's like, oh shit, I, I can really attack the rim now. And you're right. They need Vlad Golden to be out there to be the anchor. John L. Davis, 19 points. He was good in this game. Elijah Martin, um, he was okay. 13, one of seven from three. Um, so after we after this big Illinois win, where do you stand on both teams? Because I think both are good, like either yeah. good or really good. It's still a long way to determine. But I think if you're FAU, you're disappointed in not getting the win but you did go toe to toe with a, a really good team. So it's going to help you when you go back to your league, Illinois though, I really do think as long as their offense continues to click and fire like this, now you're not going to get 66 combined yeah. from Damask and Shannon every night. But if you can get like 18 from Damask and you're 25 from Shannon and then have some other guys just chip in, Illinois is the second best team in the big 10. I just- think FAU first, because I think that's just a quicker note for me. They're going to struggle mightily against teams that have like long wings who can score on you. They did in the tournament, like in, against Memphis, for example, in the NCAA tournament. If you guys remember, they probably should have lost that game. Honestly, a couple, yeah. calls went their, a couple calls went FAU's way. I'm not mad at it. We got an excellent Cinderella run. I'm happy that it went that way, but FAU probably should have lost that game. They're going to struggle against teams that have like wings that can attack you, like Shannon, Damask, Butler almost. Butler played them the toughest of any team in the ESPN events invitational Telford and Brooks both had really good games. I think those are the archetype of guys that are going to attack FAU and be able to beat them consistently. Like, I just think it's a bad matchup for Illinois. I think they're in the conversation from two to four. I really like what I've seen out of Ohio state and Wisconsin this season too. I think those teams are going to compete with them. Michigan state has looked like shit, but, uh, 
I think those two like are really solid. I think Illinois is going to be competing with those teams because on one hand you could get really good Illinois. And then on the other hand, Illinois could just kind of, it would not surprise me to see Illinois kind of drop a stinker at some point and lose a game that they shouldn't lose by like 15 points. Well, here's the thing. And I love both of those points by the FAU too. Talking about wing play and guard play, they're really athletic. You're not going to see a whole lot in the in the conference they're in now. They're like Memphis, maybe Memphis, maybe depending on what Memphis shows up. But they're not going to see a whole lot of TJ Shannon's the rest of the year. Yeah. Illinois project when they play Purdue. What's Purdue struggle with the last couple of years with their guards? They struggle with athletic, bigger yeah. guards that play fast, right? That make the that make their guards like Brent or Braden Smith have to speed up or Fletcher Lawyer has a hand in his face. Illinois has got that type of archetype that can give Purdue problems. But the thing with Illinois is they're gonna have to shoot the ball well. They're gonna have to like score at high clips when they have to play Purdue. But great win for Illinois, man. Um, this looks like a top, I won't say too high, but they look like a top 15 to 20 team in the country for easily. Easily. Um, the other game, the night capper. You had UConn back in the garden playing North Carolina, who had gotten hot after the Villanova loss, won three straight, beating Arkansas, beat Tennessee, and beat Florida State. And they come in, Connecticut coming off the loss on the road, the first in a long time in the non-con, 24 games at least, um, in the non-conference when they lost to Kansas in that great game last Friday. And it was a good game back and forth in the first half. It was a good game. Very close, very competitive. And then UConn kind of put their foot down there midway through the second half and were able to gap Carolina in the garden to win 87-76 in a battle of top 15 ball clubs. Um, Cam Spencer, 23 points. After not playing the greatest against Kansas, he bounced back in a big way. He was talking shit. I know he got under Armando yeah. Baycott's skin. Baycott mentioned it. You had the return of um, Stephon Castle. He played 11 minutes in the game, didn't score a whole lot, but his presence being back helps with that change of pace guard. I mean, you know all about Stephon Castle and what he brings oh, yeah. when healthy. Oh, yeah. um, Klingon didn't play the greatest game, but again, a second game in a row where he had to play a guy that is very talented in the front court. And I'm going to talk once again about Klingon after I get your thoughts because I talk about it on Sunday. But they got balanced scoring 23 from Spencer, 18 from Caravan, who bounced back after a not-so-great game at Kansas. Solomon Ball, 13. Tristan Newton, 14. Just an all-around good attack on the Carolina end. Harrison Ingram had 20. RJ Davis, 26. And Armando Baycott, 13. It's just Connecticut's going to be tougher in hell to play against. They look like a team again, especially with Castle as he continues to get healthier. They look like they can win the title again. That Kansas loss didn't deter me. It only reinforced my ideology that – Damn, this team can win it again. Tristan Newton was when they went on like their slump last season, where they lost six or seven straight, and like and like beginning Big East play. Thing, it was very clear that they did not have a point guard in that time. Tristan Newton did not play well, and whoever they had off the bench was not bringing it. Newton really settled in as they ran like through the tournament, late season Big East play, all that sort of stuff. And Newton was great in that time. I did not expect him to be playing at an all-American level. He's up there. He has been absolutely 100%. He, I mean, he does everything for this team. He's able to get downhill incredibly effectively. His jump shot is smooth and he is an excellent ball mover and a great rebounder too. Like he's excellent. So and he's I think a big shot maker good. like the Kansas game. Yep. That dude, when he gets in a zone, he's one of those players that he just has to see one or two go in. And then the rim becomes eight feet wide or eight yards wide or however you want to say yep. it. He, he, he's, he's the type of player that, 
will win you a game or two or six in March because he gets freaking red hot at the right time. Yeah, he takes this team to another level in my mind. I I was I where Castle I think is really good. I wasn't sure he'd be ready to be the number one option on a top five team in the country. I thought that was a little too much to ask of him. Newton, he doesn't need to be that because that's just Newton. Newton's that guy. Same thing, like Cam Spencer's not designed to be that guy. When he they asked him to be the guy for Rutgers towards the end of the season, when Mulcahy and McConnell went down, he struggled. Doesn't matter. He didn't need to be the guy. He's an excellent second option. Just excellent shooter. Can't really create for himself. Newton can do all that. Newton's been excellent. So that, I think, takes this UConn team to the next level for me, is the fact that Tristan Newton is playing this well. If he can sustain this level of play through Big East play, which he's given us no indication that he won't, but if assuming he can, this team, you are right, can compete for a national title. They just need uh, him to be excellent. Connecticut, 10 of 31 from three-point line, 32%. Um, they they took more than normal, yeah. hitting 10. Um, you would, I, It's hard to say because they won the game, but I think when they play like a team in the Big East play like Marquette or um, Creighton or one of the top-end Big East teams, I'd like to see them dial it back just a few shots because you talked about that that streak last year where they lost six or seven. If you go back to that, they were shooting way – they fell in love with the three way too much, and they weren't hitting. They've got shooters. I'm not saying don't shoot them because they can hit them. Yeah. But sometimes I think they can shoot themselves out of leads because they get way too comfortable as opposed to attacking the rim. I want to get your thoughts real quick, and I've been saying this. We've talked about it. I said it in the magazine. I said it Sunday on episode 166. I don't think Donovan Kling is a bad player. I think he's actually a really talented player. But again, it bothered me the notion of coming in the season. It's in our magazine. We we outsourced it, and I loved Screen the Screener. That he did the top 50 players. He had uh, Donovan Kling in like a top six player. And I never bought into it because, again, it is one thing to be a super sub at seven foot two, 280 pounds as a freshman playing behind an All-American and Dama Sonogo where he already beats the hell out of defenses and then Klingon could come in and pick the bones. It is another thing being the guy that everybody focuses their defense around in the interior to stop you. And it's not that he's played bad. He didn't play bad against Kansas and he didn't play bad against Carolina. But people overvalued that like, oh, well, he played good off the bench last year, so he's going to slot in and be this All-American. No, he's not. Because, look, he had to go against Hunter Dickinson. Eh, okay game. He had to go against another potential All-American, Armando Baycott. Eh, okay game. It is completely different have to be the guy in the spotlight as opposed to coming in and picking the bones. Again, I don't think Klingon's a bad player. I think he's a good player. So I don't want people to misconstrue this. But once again, we're starting to see what I've been saying is kind of right. So very early in the offseason, Last, like the offseason we just had, I bet Klingon to a national player of the year at 100 to 1. It well, you have good odds, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was playing the odds that 1% chance if UConn is as good as people say they can be. And I got a center who has the chance to lead the country in blocks. I would need him to average like 13 and 10 and then lead the country in blocks on a UConn team that's really good and maybe produce slips a bit. That was like really the there is a 1% chance that happens. I'll take the bullet. He closed at like 25 to one. And even when it hit 50 to one, I checked every single day for a cash out. I like, look, I'll take my, t- I'll take the extra 10 bucks. I'll take the extra 30 bucks, whatever it was. Never got it. Never mm. got it. Yeah. I, I think there was a little too much like wish casting that this guy was so good. You know, it's kind of like, I remember seeing this point with 
I think it was Durashan. Uh, shout out Nolan. I think he made this point. I'm not 100% certain it was him, though. If I credited the wrong person, I apologize. Kind of like a backup quarterback. You know how, like, you watch a backup quarterback play one game, like a Matt Flynn, for example. If you, I know you're a Packers guy. When Matt oh, Flynn yes. had that one game, we went he, for like 400 yards. Yep. Then he gets yeah. signed to that massive deal by Seattle and just yep. doesn't ever start a game because this Russell Wilson guy came into the league. Perfect example. Perfect. I think there was definitely a lot of like backup quarterback, like, man, this guy looked really good in like 10 minutes. There's no way he can't do it for 30. And yep. I think there's much more of an ask to do a guy doing something like that for more an extended period of time when the defense keys in on you. And sometimes, look, guys do take jumps. Like that absolutely happens. We see guys just go from freshman year to sophomore year and look like completely different dudes. Someone in this game that we, we are talking about now, I think will take a massive jump next season. But yeah, I think we wish cast a little too much. Yeah, I, perfect. I love the analogy. It's like the backup quarterback that has one or two good games and then, but then again, to that to that analogy, well, they can have one or two games because maybe the other team wasn't expecting it. There wasn't a whole yep. lot of tape on them. But once you start getting tape on these guys, especially a whole year's worth of tape, now you key in on them. Now you focus. It's like rematches, right? Like yep. in conference play, you could beat the hell out of a team the first time. And then when you have to play them three or four weeks later, it's going to be a completely different game most times. Because why? Well, they have tape on you and they know how to play you next time. So. Again, Klingon's a good player, but man, he's not that all-American number six or top ten best players in the country like people tried to proclaim he was preseason. Well, real quick on the Carolina end of things, you know, they've got two losses to Big East teams in the last couple weeks. They're only two losses. They're still a team that could put a lot of numbers up. What's your one concern with North Carolina? Because we know they can score. And they've got pieces. I love Harrison Ingram. I love the addition, even though he didn't really play well in this game. He had six points. Cormac Ryan gives him a, a shooter, like an option. Elliot Cadeau um, had been playing well leading up to this game. I like Carolina's team. I think they can really score with anybody in the country. But it's how they play on defense is determine how far they go in March. 100%. And I really like the roster construction of this uh, North Carolina team. I was very high on them entering the season. I had them second in the ACC, I believe, yeah, just behind Duke. I had them as a top 15 team after the season. I still really like this team. Um, that said, I particularly, Elliot Cadeau is someone I really like. Uh, North Carolina did not have a floor general last season. It was Love can score, Davis can score, but it didn't really feel like a cohesive unit. I think Cadeau brings that cohesive unit. And even with reclass freshmen, specifically point guards, usually I'm like really off on that. But this kid has a really mature game. The one thing with him that I think is a real problem, and we saw that in these two games that they ended up losing, against bigger guards. Like Justin Moore has been running point a lot for Villanova. He's 6'5". Tristan Newton is about 6'5", too. Those guys are much bigger guards. And you saw Cadeau kind of struggle. He just hasn't really seen that in high school, that he's going up against legit, really talented, experienced, veteran, big guards. I think that's a matchup he's going to struggle with all season. I think as he progresses in his college career, he'll get much better at that. And he still is the best playmaker North Carolina's had in the time I've been able to watch basketball. So I think he still makes this team significantly better. But there are games he's going to struggle. And against experienced big guards like he's seen in those two games, those are the games he's going to struggle in. Completely agree. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on real quick before we take a quick break and then start to move on here. Indiana's 2-0 in Big Ten play. We got to talk about the Hoosier Nation here. Big part of our fan base is here in Indiana, and the Hoosier Nation covers a lot of that. Indiana goes into Michigan, beats them 78-75. There's a lot of controversy because it's on Peacock. 
another streaming app that we've got to have to watch this damn sport. But uh, Malik Renault 15, Kilowera 13, uh, Mackenzie Mbako 11, Mbako slowly starting to play better. Everybody who played for IU scored, which is huge. They played, what, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys. All of them scored at least two points or more. And no Xavier Johnson this game. They go on the road, get a win, despite shooting three of nine from three. I think we're just going to have to deal with the fact that Indiana is going to win games in the ugliest way possible because they're not going to shoot a lot of threes. They're not going to hit a lot. They're going to find ways to win, it looks like. It's not always going to be pretty. And then Michigan's lost five of six after being everybody's darling two and a half, three weeks ago. Um, Real quick on both these Big Ten teams. I have, I still I have significant concerns with both of them. I don't think they're upper echelon Big Ten teams. I think with Indiana, they have legit bigs inside. They're going to be very good inside. You're going to have to like, it will be a stress for your big men having to go up against the amount of guys they can throw on you who will be able to put you on the block and get a bucket or get a dump off, easy finish, all that sort of stuff. That's that their guards have not played well this season and they can't shoot. Cannot. They're going to need to hit shots. And for Michigan... They started the season great, but maybe that's more an indictment on St. John's than a compliment to Michigan. You go. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I think there was a little lag on my end. But um, I've talked about, again, Johnny Stroud, big IU fan. We talked about, he even mentioned, he said, if you're playing IU, why the hell don't you play zone? Make them shoot threes. Because you can't compete in a lot of games, unless you're Purdue, on the interior play with all the bigs they have. Just zone them. Dare them to hit five or six of them. Well, you want to talk about the game they play next. They play Auburn next. Auburn's got wings. Uh, Auburn will be able to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Yeah. 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 We're going to talk about it. I I can't wait. But no, good win for IU. I mean, they're tied atop the Big Ten, and they're going to win. They're going to win a lot of games, I feel like, at least 20 or more. And they're all Mm -hmm. going to be ugly. Michigan, I think that flame died out. And um, this is a make it or break it time for uh, Juwan Howard. Like, it's going to be, if he can't figure this out, heat's going to get a little hot there. Um, with that being said, we've got some games, some big games this week. And I want to talk about it's starting to become that part of the year where as we get closer to conference play every Saturday from here on out, it's going to have loaded slates of games, a lot of rivalry games, a lot of big time top 25 games. We're going to hit on some of those and more. First, we're going to play some ads, hear from our sponsors and friends from other places. And we'll talk about some of these games on the other side of this break. You're listening to episode 167 of the ECB podcast. We'll be right back in just a minute. College basketball fans, I've got a question for you. Are you looking to score big with your basketball bets and analysis? Well, ShotQualityBets.com is your go-to source for data, picks, and predictions that are a cut above the rest. With their state-of-the-art computer vision and AI, they analyze the game like no one else, providing you with unique data that's crucial for making informed decisions. Shot Quality Bets takes the hard work out of betting by matching their highly accurate predictions with the current betting lines, making it a breeze for you to place winning wagers. And the best part? You can start this winning streak right now with the Everything College Basketball exclusive code of ECB for 10% off your first month. Simply visit ShotQualityBets.com backslash welcome to sign up and jump into the action. It's that easy. ShotQualityBets.com, where data drives your analysis to the next level. Everything College Basketball listeners, it is Conrad Cushman here from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show 
by the fans for the fans where we talk pro wrestling every single week our current schedule is mondays live at 605 we have clash of the podcast where myself and my co-host sean hubbard of hubbard wrestling weekly go live to talk all the latest and greatest in pro wrestling on wednesdays we are live after aew dynamite a little after 10 p.m eastern standard time on the everything pro wrestling youtube channel as well make sure you guys come on over if you guys are fans of all elite wrestling and we do cover some of the pay-per-views that happen over the weekends keep your eyes peeled for when we have those available as well thank you guys so much for listening to us talk about our schedule let's get back to my good friends over at everything college basketball huge shouts to our title of uh, partnership and sponsor this year over at shotqualitybets.com use promo code ecb for 10 percent off your first month i love it over there you talk about the data and analysis i write, rant and rave about this all the time but if you're looking for a place that can really break down the the offensive end of the college basketball shotqualitybets.com is the place to be and our friends over everything pro wrestling it's a great time as we head towards the march to royal rumble go over to check conrad and them out but hey Mike, Michael, we've got a big Saturday. Yep. It's a bit. We're not going to go to all these games. There's some rivalry games. There's some big, big games with net implications on the line. Let's start with Alabama Purdue in Toronto. What a game! You talk about a stylistic nightmare potentially for both teams. We talked about Alabama has not played well so far against physicality. Well, Purdue is going to be physical at least on the interior with Edie. You talk about Purdue's weakness, athletic wing and guard play that will speed them up. What's Alabama good at? Speeding teams up and shooting the hell out of the three. What a fun matchup this is. I know Alabama's not ranked currently, but man, what a matchup this is on Saturday. Oh, yeah. You mentioned it. The style clash is going to be very interesting. Purdue, uh, Alabama doing everything they can to run five out, get Edie the hell out of the paint. It really is that simple, and as you mentioned, three-point shooting, all that jazz. You made excellent points. This game should be fun. I really think it's going to be entertaining. You've got excellent guards on both ends in their own ways. This one, this is a fun game. I I didn't know this was happening, so I'm pretty excited. That's going to be a fun <laughs> one. Oh, right uh, after Jordan McHugh's too. I, I think for Purdue, a couple things. Obviously, Edie's going to get his. The, yeah. I Grant, if I'm Alabama... I try to limit, especially in the first half, as much exposure of Grant Nelson matching up on Zach Eady as possible to avoid foul trouble because they yeah. need Grant Nelson on the floor. Like, let him guard him a time or two and then get him the hell off. Just concede the fact Zach Eady is going to score. Yeah. Just concede the fact. Focus in on guard play, right? Focus in on defending the guards and turning them over because we know – Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are susceptible to turning the ball over when pressured. Focus on that. Just concede Edie's going to score. Give them two, don't give them three. Purdue's end of the floor, take care of the basketball. Fletcher Lawyer's got to get off or Lance Jones. One of those two have to help out everybody else. Mason Gillis, one of the role players have to provide and help out offense. Then they have to slow the tempo down and run yep. selectively when they have the option to run. If you try to get in a track meet with Alabama, they're going to put 100 on your head, no matter how good you are. I think they have to slow it down and then run selectively. Do you have Who do you think wins this game? Do you think Alabama has enough offensive firepower to pull Edie away from the rim and really cause nightmares for Purdue? 
Alabama definitely has the firepower to cause problems. And I think you mentioned it with the guards pressure and you look at Alabama's guards, uh, Aaron Estrada is averaging one and a half steals a game. Mark Sears is averaging 1.3 steals a game. Latrell Wright is averaging one and a half steals a game. Those guys, they're going to have to pressure the ball if they want to stay in this game. That said, I am still going to pick Purdue. I still think Purdue's like a top five team. I think they're going to find a way in this matchup, whether it they'll get something from someone, whether this is a Mason Gillis game where he's just able to stay on the floor and kind of annoy and really take, Alabama out of like a lot of what they want to do playing fast or maybe a Smith or a lawyer can help to slow this game down Lance Jones another Swiss Army knife defensively I think this game's I think Purdue plus I think Zach Eady can get 30 and 20 and in that spot I don't think Purdue's going to lose many games so I will be picking Purdue in the spot but I think it's a fun game I'm really interested to see how both teams attack this style I'm with you. I think Purdue is going to find a way to win, um, especially if it gets ugly. Like they've they've already played Tennessee in the ugliest game of college basketball so far with all the fouls. But I'm with you. I think Purdue squeaks one out, but I think Alabama is going to give them fits all game long with how fast they want to play. And you know Nate Oates teams. He wants to get 103 point shots up. And if they can hit 15 of them, you know, Purdue goes down. But I, I think Purdue will find a way to key in and – Make enough stops, we'll say. Well, they'll make enough stops, make enough shots. They'll have one of those shot runs where they get four consecutive stops and scores in a row, and that'll be the difference in the game. That's going to be a fun one. We talked about Indiana Auburn. That's played Saturday as well in Atlanta, in Hot Atlanta, um, neutral site game. Of course, it's the proximity is close to Auburn, but a lot of people don't realize Indiana has a massive alumni association down in the greater Atlanta area. So I guarantee you. Indiana fans outnumber Auburn probably two to one in that ball game. So it's going to feel like Bloomington South on there it is a, they have a massive alumni population down in Atlanta. So there's going to be a lot of Hoosier cream and crimson down there. You look at Auburn, right? We talked about it. They're a fun team. They're top uh, 40 in offense and defense. They don't shoot the three well, which is crazy because Jones and Aiden Holloway, they're shooting 29.6%. Indiana, thankfully for them, Indiana doesn't shoot the three ball well themselves and don't take a whole lot. But I mean, what, what's your thoughts on this one? I think Auburn presents substantial problems for Indiana. I honestly, I think Auburn kind of cruises in this game. I think Indiana gets a lot inside. I don't think that's a secret to anyone. I think Janai Broom is one of the best room protectors in the country. He's excellent inside. He's averaging 18 and nine. And he's averaging one, uh, nearly one and a half blocks a game. They've got length, they've got the wings to do it, and they've got the better guards too. I think just this is a really bad matchup for Indiana, a team that can, there aren't many teams in the country that can match Indiana's size and like ability to finish inside. I think Auburn's one of them. Auburn's just going to be longer. They're going to be able to take them out a lot of the actions they want to run. They could turn this Indiana team over. Definitely we've seen that. And I don't think Indiana's going to be able to hit the jump shots to really make Auburn do anything other than really just pack it in defensively. I think Auburn kind of cruises in this spot. I think it'll be an ugly game because I don't think Auburn is going to like put up like 90 points or anything like that. So I think this one could be uglier, lower scoring, but I think it's one that Auburn's going to control from tip to finish. Janai Broom versus Kalel Ware will be a hell of an interior matchup. Oh yeah, uh, Dylan Cardwell also playing really well so mm-hmm. far to start the year uh, as kind of that backup to Janai Broom. Sometimes they even play together. Uh, Katie Johnson's prone coming off the bench, turned the ball over. Indiana's defense is good. Like, they've got a good D. Yeah. They, they could turn him over and convert fast break layups. Aiden Holloway is going to probably be one of the best players on the floor at any given time, especially if he gets off. I, I'm not in favor of IU in this game. Yeah. I think IU, because 
Auburn does not shoot the three ball well. And if they're not turning Indiana over and turn it into transition and they have to play in the half court, Indiana's defense is good enough to slow them down and junk it up in the half court. It, I think it's going to be a low scoring game. Yeah, I really do. I, I, I think Indiana, I think Indiana wins a game, something similar to like a 66, 62 or like a 57, 55. I think they're going to slow them down and pound it inside. And Khalil Ware is super talented. Malik Renew this could be one of those games that Malik Renew has like a kind of like he did to UConn there and kept Indiana in the game. I think you could see like a Malik Renew like 22 and 12 type of night. I think Indiana wins an ugly contest, but based upon their defense, I think they'll give Auburn just enough problems to win the game. You see, you mentioned Katie Johnson. Would it surprise you if this is one of those Katie Johnson games where he hits like where just goes nuts? Yeah. 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 Like, it's that's just kind of what it feels like to me. I just the gut says I I really I'm very confident in Auburn in this game. Uh I think it's as you mentioned, I agree with you, low scoring, but I think it's one of those more like 70 to 60, 72, 58 type games in favor of Auburn. Well, Ken Palm's got them favored by seven, 77, 70. Like so that. we got a bunch of games. We're not gonna throw them all. We'll rapid fire some of them here and just I want to hear a quick prediction mm-hmm. or who you think is gonna win or whatever. One of them being Number 24, what the ECB rankings, of course. Number 24, Wisconsin at number one, Arizona. Wisconsin's been red hot. They're relying on their defense. They've got guys who can step up and make shots. But Arizona is so balanced. We've talked about them. Only play like eight guys, and all of them can legitimately play at a high level. Caleb Love has been phenomenal for them this year, all things considered. Do you think Wisconsin has enough to keep the train rolling and take down another number one for the third straight week? I do not. Uh, I think Arizona really well balanced. I think that really helps them in this game. They've got the better guards and I think they're going to be more physical inside. Wisconsin will be able to take them out of what they want to do, but if Arizona is able to run, I think this one could get ugly. I think Wisconsin will do enough to keep it close, but I, I rock with Arizona. Yeah, I'm going Arizona as well too. If Wisconsin though can slow the game in the half court, which they're going to, and let's say they hit 10 or 11 threes, Boy, I mean, we've seen here lately, Arizona, I mean, they're winning big, but they're having some halves now where they're not playing well at times, but they're still by far the number one team in the country. So they're, they're rolling teams. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one. I mean, Michigan State held them to a six-point game, and Wisconsin just beat the hell out of Michigan State. So transitive properties doesn't work in sports, but maybe you could take something from that. Uh, all right, rapid fire time. Big old school rivalry in your neck of the woods here, Big East style. Syracuse at Georgetown. God, uh, this is one that's really hard for me to rapid fire, uh, but I'll do my best. I think this is an incredibly high scoring game. This is the game I'm most looking forward to this weekend, unsurprisingly. Uh, I think this game, I think there is a reasonable chance both teams could put up about 100 points. I don't see either team getting stops. This should be fun because both teams are interest fun to watch, but they both have glaring flaws being defense and neither team is great on the glass. Judah Mintz is going to have a huge game. Jaden Epps is going to have a huge game in the end. I I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hometown kid, but I, I can't see, I, I can't imagine Georgetown losing this game just because it would crush me. So yeah, I'm taking Georgetown and I think Georgetown will find a way. I think Dontra styles is a real problem, a real problem for the Syracuse team. Judah Mintz will, it would not surprise me if Judah Mintz has like 35 points but I don't know if that'll be enough, and I hope it won't. And Ish Masood's going to have a big game, too. They're running some pretty actions for Masood, and Syracuse's defense on the wings is dog shit. Ish Masood's going to have a big game. Georgetown, Georgetown. Ed Cooley's getting this thing started the right way by Juice and Cuse. Let's fucking go. 
<laughs> I'm going with you. I'm going Georgetown. I like Jaden Epps. I seen him the week or two ago when who was it that they should have lost to, and he had like 15 straight points hey, in overtime. That, that's right. That's right. The American game. I, I like him. I, I think he can be microwave hot. Um, Arkansas on the road at number 21, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is unbeaten and just absolutely locking teams up. Arkansas, we've talked about it. It's got a lot of talent, but can they break through this airtight defense of Oklahoma to win this game on the road? Arkansas's guards would need to go ballistic for me to win, like see them win this game. And they've got the potential to, they've got like high, they've got guys who can make some really tough shots, but I think Oklahoma's just going to suffocate them. I Oklahoma, they did it to Providence. I think they're going to do the exact same thing. They're just going to suffocate this Arkansas team that really struggles to get into a rhythm offensively at times. I think we're going to see that again. I think Oklahoma will do just enough offensively, like away. Um, and some of their other guards, like JV McCollum, are playing really well. I think they've got the better guard group. I think they're going to do enough inside to really just suffocate and make this game ugly. And I think Oklahoma wins in the end. I think Oklahoma blows them out. Yeah. I think they win this game by like 15 or more. So I'm with you there. Um, a couple rivalry games. Just prediction here. Missouri at Kansas. I think we're both going to take Kansas. But the question I want to ask you is, does Missouri keep this close? For I think it'll be like a game with like 10 minutes left. Like Missouri's only down like seven. And then Kansas blows them out towards the end. Uh, I think Kansas just dominates them, dog walks That's them awesome. from start to finish. I, I, the last year's Missouri team was really good. This year's is not. Kansas is going to absolutely dog walk them. St. Mary's, a team that's really fallen on hard times after being propped up this year. They are four and five as well this year already. Um, they're playing Colorado State on the road. Colorado State's a legitimate top 15, top 20 type of team. Can St. Mary's finally get a big win to start their, their resurgence back to where everybody thought they might be this year? St. Mary's is flawed. That's probably the team I was one of the teams I was most wrong about. One nineteen in offense. Yeah, one nineteen in offense. Aiden McConnell is amazing, but who yeah. the hell scores after that? Yeah, it's Mahaney and then a prayer. And Mahaney, I said McConnell, yeah. the old Purdue quarterback. What the hell? Yeah, yeah you know, I uh, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, I think this is Colorado State. Isaiah Stevens has a huge game, and they're really good defensively too. That's a really well coached team. Uh, Colorado State by TKL. Yeah, I'm going with you. I mentioned it last week. Um, Stevens, best guard in America, nobody talks about. He, he's phenomenal. How about the Mormons showdown? Number 12, BYU at Utah. God, I love Mormons. Uh, I think BYU, <laughs> I think if Brandon Carlson plays, he actually presents a real problem for BYU. They're going to struggle with bigs this season because you got uh, Trey Ori starting inside. He's 6'6". But I think the wings of BYU present significant problems. And I think BYU has an athleticism advantage in this game, which might be like the one time I say that all season, but they do. And I don't think Utah is going to do anything to take them out of their sets. I think BYU really kind of cruises in this one. I think this is like a comfortable BYU lead. Carlson will get his, no doubt. But BYU, that team is really fucking good. Utah shoots the hell out of three ball. 37. BYU. Well, I know. 38%. Uh, I think the over-under for combined threes is 25. And I think it's going to be over 25 combined okay. threes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Utah. They're at home. The rivalry game. Weird shit happens all the time. Yeah. Utah takes down BYU, the number one ranked team in the net rankings. Um, Cincinnati Xavier, great rivalry. Nobody really talks about top five rivalry in college basketball for legitimate hatred between yep. these two. Normal fights break out. Cincinnati, I think, still undefeated right now. They haven't played anybody, really. Xavier just got Jerome Hunter back. Um, 
I'm going Cincinnati, dude. There's always something about this game. I think Cincinnati goes across town and beats Xavier. Yeah, so just to correct, uh, the Hunter, he is practicing. I would not expect him to play this season, but he okay. is back in practice. Uh, awesome to see him back. It was like a cardiac injury, uh, and, but I'm with you. And Cincinnati has Jizzle James. Like, Jizzle when you have James. Jizzle James, bro? Day Thomas. They got names, and they got yeah. game, too. Shemus Lukosius yep. from your neck of the woods, Aaron Butler. Lighten yeah. it up. Um, and then CJ Frederick from Kentucky. So we've got connections all around Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. I think this UC team, they haven't really been tested. They were able to dog walk Georgia Tech, and they went to, on the road to Howard. That was with Seth Towns, if you remember Seth Towns. Oh, yeah, he's of course. Beast. He's a beast. Uh, he gave them problems, but I don't think this – I think Xavier fans will get up for this one, but I've seen so many tweets on my timeline. Like, you see – the last time you see one in Cintas was like 25 years ago. I think this is the game. The guards are just more athletic. They're more together right now. Uh, usually I love fading teams that haven't played a good schedule around this time of year. UC has not played a good schedule, but I just think that kind of dog walks Xavier. Xavier looks bad. They're disjointed. They're nothing inside. That's where you can take advantage of UC. UC is better inside in this game. UC has got the better guards. Day Day Thomas, I think has a day. I think this is UC. I think UC wins this one. Again, not to pat myself on the back, but when I wrote for the big East in the magazine and I can, I actually consulted you about Xavier. We, we talked team. about this. Yeah, we, we talked about this. Other people were higher on them, and I just didn't see it. And it looks like we're right right now. I mean, hey, no offense to Xavier, but I just – they lost a lot of production from last year. Yeah. And then two of their best players were pretty much going to be missing this year. I just didn't see it. And, and Cincinnati then, off to a good start. Sean Miller – not Sean Miller. Um, West Miller. Uh, West Miller, thank you. West Miller is a good coach. Really good. He, coach. He's legitimately – he could have been North Carolina's coach had they not yeah. hired Hubert Davis. He's a good coach. I think Cincinnati is going to slowly start to get back in the limelight. Big 12 is going to be brutal, but they might be a tournament team this year. You have to keep yeah. an eye on the Bearcats. So um, last one, it's the ECB over at the Facebook group, the weekly pickums. This is week one. It's been a yearly thing. It's a huge competition we do. The game of the day for Saturday, Illinois at Tennessee. Styles, clash of styles we've talked about. Illinois' high-flying offensive potential. Tennessee's defensive-minded team in Knoxville. Who do you got in this game? Home team. I got Tennessee. I think Tennessee's the better team. I think Tennessee wins this game. I think TJ Shannon's going to get his, but I think it, Tennessee will do enough to just suffocate the rest of the guys. I think this will be like a TJ Shannon versus like the rest of the Tennessee team. I'm definitely worried Tennessee goes on one of their like patented like six-minute stretches of just not scoring, and that keeps this mm-hmm. game much closer, but I think this is. I think Tennessee matches up really well in this spot. I think this sets up good for Tennessee. I got the Vols. Yeah, I, man, I'm with you, Thompson. I, I would know better than anybody, right? Thompson Bowling is a tough place to go get a win at. That place is going to be a lot of orange both ways, <laughs> Illini mm-hmm. and and oh, Tennessee. Yeah. If Illinois could get out front, here's the thing I'll say: If Illinois can get hot early and get out front and put Tennessee behind the eight ball, kind of like North Carolina did. If they could jump them and get them down like 22 to 8, Tennessee's going to have a hard time coming back. They'll get it close, but they won't win the game. Illinois has got to get off to a hot start. They can't let Tennessee get on. It's like, back to UFC comparison, it's like letting a great grappler, like a Habib or John Jones or Stipe, whoever, right, take you to the ground early in the round because you're not getting up more than likely. If Tennessee gets out in front and gets a lead – Illinois is not getting back off the mat from it. But if they can punch them in the mouth first and get off to a hot start, Tennessee is going to have a hard time coming back. I'm with you. I'm going balls by a 
close one. I think this is going to be a very airtight game. Tennessee is going to win something. It's probably going to be ugly if Tennessee wins. So, I don't know, like 71-67 is what I'll say, Tennessee. Probably a lot of fouls. A lot of fouls. Give me 75-62. So, you got them. You think they get that late? Like, pull away with free throws and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think, too. Uh, I agree with that. But big week coming up in college back weekend, should I say, in college basketball. I mean, it's a fun time of year. We're starting to get closer to all the conference plays starting. We're wrapping up a lot of non-con games. So we're going to have a lot of big Saturdays up until January begins and conference play officially begins. But wrapping up episode 167, for Michael DeRosa, DeRosa, I appreciate the hell out of you, man. Late notice coming on again. Um for, for new listeners, I mean, our, our longtime members know where to find you. But real quick, tell everybody where they can find you at. Yeah, at MD the Dream on Twitter, uh, tweeting about as much college basketball as I can covering the Butler Bulldogs because that's where I go to school. Uh, a lot of Georgetown tweets you'll see too. You'll see just me like being like a complete fanboy. Uh, then Dingo DeRosa's podcast, I'm talking all college basketball. Like these guys do excellent work here. Same thing, me and Chris just getting on whenever the hell we can. And then Road to the Garden, that's where a lot of like my writing stuff is going to be where I'm covering Butler, covering like the entire Big East, looking at like recruiting stuff as a whole, getting some stuff going there. And we might have a show in the works there. We might, just might. Oh, I like it. I like it. Mm -hmm. We'll keep an eye out on that. But for myself, for Michael DeRosa, for this Thursday edition of the ECB podcast, we hope you guys enjoyed this. Leave a like, subscribe, all the fun stuff that you do where you download your podcast at. And until this Sunday, where we have episode 168, recover or talking about all the stuff we just previewed and much more. We hope you guys enjoyed this, and we will catch you down the road.